to continue in our series in Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 13 through 18, the first part of 18 uh, this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised really high. And one of the ushers will walk down the aisles and get you a, a copy of God's Word. And we say this every week, but we mean it. If, if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of the Lord. Um, if you are one of those people, just a side note, if you're one of those people that are getting the Bible for the first time, um, as you grow in your faith, hold on to that Bible and keep it as long as you possibly can. One of my biggest regrets is giving my Bible away to somebody on a whim, my first Bible ever, and I wish I had it back. Um, nothing against that person, but we could have given them a different Bible. So just go ahead and keep that one so that you can have those, those, those memories. So we've been in the, in, the, in the book of Ephesians now for about a year or so, and we're at the very, very end here. And just kind of just a general recap is what we see is that, one, this book was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to the church that's in Ephesus. Now, when I say church, don't think like Redemption Church. Think the people of God throughout a whole city. It'd be like someone writing a letter to the church that's in Phoenix, and that'd be all the different churches here in the Phoenix area. So Paul writes this letter to them. Paul himself writes this letter while he's in prison. He's in prison in Rome because of his faith, really, for promoting his faith in Christ. And he's on home arrest. And he writes this letter to summarize all what God is doing throughout um, the world in Christ. And so in chapter 1, we see that we've been given every spiritual blessings um, in Christ Jesus. In chapter 1, we also see God's plan of redeeming all things, heaven and earth. And then chapter 2, we begin to see how he is redeeming and restoring and reconciling all of us who were separated um, from God because of our sin by nature and by choice, and then now being reconciled together in Christ. The latter part of chapter 2, he, he begins to talk about that difficult work of not only have we been vertically reconciled to God, but now the gospel horizontally reconciles us to each other, primarily ethnically, as he talks about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled in Christ. As we read into chapter 3, we begin to see this big picture of now how God is using us as the body of believers, that means the church, to be able to witness to his glory and gives us different gifts, chapter 4, and how we can live into this new life. We are called to put off the old life in which we had just by nature, and then we're supposed to put on the new life in which we receive by faith through grace. Um, as we get into chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul begins to talk about this new family that, and people that we are and how we, the gospel applies to the family structure and how it shapes the way that husbands and wives react to one another in Christ and how slaves and masters react to one another in Christ and how children to their parents react to one another in Christ and then how we now, in all of that he's talked about, Paul says, finally realize that there's spiritual warfare. And he says, put on this armor. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, and this armor that we have is none other than Jesus himself. That the strength in which we have, and which he says be strengthened in the Lord, is not a strength in which we have in ourselves, but a strength that we receive by faith in Christ Jesus and living into that reality of who we are in Christ Jesus, living in the union which we have in Christ Jesus. And so what we have um, for us this morning is 13 through 18 is Paul now not just talking about the armor of God, but being able to break down the different pieces of that armor. And so last service, I went about uh, 10, 15 minutes, a little too long. So this service, I'm going to say the same things, but even faster than I've ever said them. So, so just uh, hold on, um, and we'll look at it together. So let's pray and um, ask God to bless our time. Jesus, we thank you so much that you were, you were really, really, really good to us. Um, you were really good to us, Lord. Um, and we need moments, Lord, to just be still for a moment and, and just sit in your presence. 
And just to, just to know that in the moment that we can just sit in your presence, there's a truth there. One, that you are more than enough. And likewise, in you, Lord, that we are enough. God, that we don't need anything else um, but you. And all that we have is from you. Everything that we will go through, Lord, is with you. So, God, that you are for us, that you are with us, and that you are in us. So, Lord, I, I thank you for that. Um, I pray that that truth would resonate and, be, and, and fill us. Um, you would fill us with that truth by your spirit, Lord. As we look to your word today, would, would you illuminate the text so we may see this armor and primarily, Lord, to see how we are able to protect ourselves in Christ, Lord, from the spiritual battle that we are daily in. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that is, um, that's true about, like, little kids, um, you ever notice, those of you who have kids or have been around kids, that when little kids start getting into things like whether it's, um, if it's superheroes, like they want to dress like that superhero, and not like, oh, Halloween's coming up. No, they, every day they want to dress like that, right? And they act out that superhero or that princess. And it's not like, okay, today's the day to be a princess. It's like, no, every day, just so you know, I'm a princess, <laughs> right? And so you have that. And when your daughter starts doing that, that's when you know, okay, it's go time. Um, or, or what little kids do in sports, right? You, a little kid could have, a, like, their uniform. Like, they're really sometimes more into the uniform than they are to the actual sport, right? And so it could be a Friday, and they will, like, a little girl will have her soccer uniform on, even though the game's not until Wednesday of the next week, right? It's like they're prepared. Like, they're ready. If anything, they look ready, you know? Um, it's not much different than um, when I was younger, and many of us, especially uh, some of the dudes here, when we were younger, growing up, we always have our jeans on, and underneath our jeans, we always had some basketball shorts, right? Because <laughs> you never knew when a basketball game might just pop off, right? So are we playing right now? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm ready. Like, let me just do this. I'm not going to interact. It. But, like, let's, let's do this, right? And you had these baggy, you just had these basketball shorts on, which the way we wear our pants now, that just doesn't work like that anymore. But, right? And the point is, you're always ready. Like, you're always ready. What Paul is talking about here is not an addendum. This is not like after you've already known that God is reconciling things and reconciling you to God. And then some moments in your life, you may have spiritual warfare. He's going, no, 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 no. This can pop off at any moment. And, and I would love to say that this is around the clock. It's by the time, for the time that you wake up to the time you go to bed. But that wouldn't be true because it's actually even while you're sleeping. And so there, there, this spiritual warfare, it's always there. It's not like, oh, I need to, I need to get ready, I need to get prepared, because one day it's going to come. It's already here. And so if you're not already prepared, you're already getting beat. And so there's, there, there's this reality that Paul is saying, a lot of this is going, as you go, know that as you live a life as a reconciled person with God, as you live your life as a person being reconciled together, Jew and Gentile, as man and, and, and woman, as child, as, as laborer, coworker, boss, whatever you are, just know there's warfare everywhere around you. And we talked about this two weeks ago. There's different schemes that the enemy uses against us, whether it may be the schemes of doubt, lies, false narratives, temptations, demonic things that are dark and heavy in our lives, in the lives of our families, our friends, our relationships. Anyway, like, like he's using um, whatever he can to distract um, the people of God. He cannot thwart the plans of God for the people of God, but he can distract them. And so, so we had this picture that I was talking about two weeks ago, and that is when it comes to the devil and demons, there are extremes. On this extreme, 
this particular circle, like, the devil is in everything. Like, almost like they give him way too much credit, right? Um, like, the de- like, if the lights start flickering right now, they'd be like, I ain't nothing but the devil, right? He don't want us to see a particular reflection of Ricardo's face. He ain't trying. They'd be like, whoa, I don't, I think we need to pay our bill or get a new light or something. But you have, you have, you have that extreme. But on this extreme, you have people who don't even acknowledge the devil. He only exists in written words in the pages in our Bible, and that's about it, as if he's not present. But we said the, the devil is not like God, right? We say he's a rival. He's not a rival. God has no rival, right? I mean, he has no rival. He has no equal. Like, it's, it, 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 it is not, it's not even fair for me to make a joke to make a reference to some sports analogy because it does, he has no rival, right? Is he the enemy? Yeah, but he's a defeated enemy. He has power, and he is present. He's not everywhere at the same time. His demons are not everywhere at the same time. However, there is a demonic presence, and Paul said it last week. Well, Paul didn't say it last week. He said it years ago, but we have it, we, we have it, we have it in this word, in the God's word here, that our battle is not against each other, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and authorities, meaning the things that are unseen. And there's nothing to be afraid of because the light is present in Christ. It's just something we need to be aware of. You mean? It's nothing to be afraid of, even though it's powerful. It's just something to be aware of for the people of God. And so what we're going to look at this morning is look at these different parts of the armor uh, that Paul gives us here um, and walk through these things. Um, verse 13. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. So the first imperative here is he says is stand firm. Um, he said it also, as is written, when we talked about it two weeks ago, is standing firm has this idea of going, and you're going to see this throughout the text, almost everything that he talks about with the armor is a defensive stance. Um, sometimes we have this, this thought because we have a lot of like warrior hero people that want to go like, we're going to go after the Lord and we're, gonna, or, we're not going to go after the Lord. He's after us. We're, we're going to go after the enemy and it's like this like UFC style warriors, like we're going to go after him. It's like, no, that's actually not the picture that we have. We have a picture of us being rooted together in Christ and his strength and standing knowing that there's attacks and accusations and false lies being thrown from all over the place. And so that's the picture you have to stand. Stand firm. And that standing firm is not in your own strength, as we said before. That is standing in the union that you have with Jesus, drawing from the relationship you have with Christ and who he is and what he's done. And so he has that picture of that armor. Also, we said that the picture of the armor, oftentimes people, well, <laughs> first, here's what Vacation Bible School has done and ruined it for us. Um, is, and don't get me wrong, Vacation Bible School is a good thing, but we always have this picture that we teach the kids about the spiritual armor. And it's usually a picture of like some like, you know, cute little European boy with all the little weapons and stuff. And it's like, you too can go fight your battles. And it's like, listen, there's nothing cute about what Paul is talking about. Like that's not the image that he's given us. And so don't have that image and don't try to update that image where now that kid's got like the little Malcolm Moore cut now and he's, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. The other part of it is that people, because Paul's in prison, people think that Paul's looking at a guard as he's writing this, and he's thinking, okay, helmet, okay, sword, okay, shield, okay, boots, okay, belt, okay, chest ring. Uh, got it, right? It could be true, but probably not, maybe because Paul's in home arrest. Chances are the guard didn't have all of that gear on. 
what Paul is doing, as Paul often does, is he's pulling from Old Testament scripture and finding its completeness in Christ. And so he's pulling from particularly Isaiah chapter 50 and the multiple chapters in there, that picture that God goes before us and he fights the battle and he's victorious and he puts on his armor and now his armor is appropriated in us in Christ Jesus. So Paul is, is, is writing a picture already knowing the outcome of victory. Like already knowing the outcome of victory. And so the best way I can think about of us entering into this, not being afraid of being aware, is understanding where the victory is. And so years ago, um, probably in 2006-ish, um, ESPN, which is a sports station or something like that, um, start, start showing, um, they started showing um, classic sports or classic games. And they would show like old games and whatnot. So one of the games they were showing was a game that I actually played in. I didn't do that well, I'd love to tell you, and I killed it. No. And so watching this game, it was ASU versus Oregon at Autzen Stadium, which is in Eugene, Oregon. They haven't lost a game there in all these years. And I'm watching the game, um, and we're just getting our butts kicked. We meaning ASU. I like ASU. Um, and so we're watching this game, and I'm watching it, and I'm like lean, like I scoot up to the edge of my couch, and I'm sitting there, I'm yelling, by the way, at myself, and all my friends, by the way, are grown men now, and not even, you know, this is years before, and so I'm just yelling at it, and then, and then there was a part where my wife goes, like, what are you watching? I'm like, man, I'm watching this Oregon game in 2004, we're down by 20 points, literally. She goes, well, did you guys lose? I'm like, no, we won. And she goes, then why are you all, wait, you know what's going to happen? And you're like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I know it's about to happen. Wait till we come out the locker room, right? And so there's this sense of going, okay, now I can watch this, still see the battles that are happening, still see each play, still have an emotional response and reaction, but then rest assured that victory is ultimately going to be ours. What we have here, to very, I, man, I'm telling y'all, y'all need to come to the 9, to the 11, to the 6, my house. And so, so, so you, we have to land in knowing first in this, even though we get knocked down and so forth, we battle, we struggle with our own sin and so forth, that there's victory, and the victory is already firmed and rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. So no need to be afraid, but definitely something to be aware. And what Paul says here, here's what we need to do in Christ's strength, is put on this particular armor as he breaks it down. First thing he says here is, as you stand firm, Verse 14, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. And we're going to race through these things. You have the belt of truth, okay? Now, when you think about belt, don't think about the fashionable belts and stuff that we have now. Um, think about a girdle, if you know what a girdle is. Um, because this particular part of the armor, the, the soldiers would have worn underneath their armor to, like, keep, 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 uh, keep you know, keep things, be ready. And so, <laughs> and so the particular way that they, you, you see, you can't take you guys anywhere. The girdle in itself was the phrase that we get, gird up your loins. And the whole idea of that was to be able to move and be agile and so forth. And so you have to think of it that way because you didn't want to go into battle and not be able to be freely and be able to move. Okay, so you can think about it in, in two ways and styles of fashion that we've had. So in the, definitely in the early 90s, mid 90s, and sometimes even late 90s, baggy, 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 baggy pants. Like the baggier of your pants, the more you're like, dang, he's got it. And then the longer your belt, dang, is your belt dragging on the ground? Yeah, you know, that's what I do, right? And what happened is your pants were so big and sagging and all that stuff that you kind of walk like this, right? And that's the kind of walk you had. And you, you kind of dip like this a little bit and go, I'm still here, right? So, 
Fast forward to our day now, you have really, 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 really skinny pants with a little bit of baggage just right here, and you still have to walk like this, right? And so ain't nothing changed but the date. None of those are good for being active. When Paul says have this, this, this belt or it literally means girdle of truth, what he's saying is have the truth of God equipped in you in such a way that you're able to move when the enemy is coming after you. Truth is, is, is two ways. Um, one way that people see this truth is they see it as the truth of God as revealed in Christ Jesus. So the way that we know the Father, the way that we know what he's like, the way that we know his love is by looking at his son Jesus as revealed through the Gospels. And what Christ has done, that he reveals and shows us what God is like. That we know the truth of, of God in Christ and through the word of God. And so some people say, like, that's the truth that he's talking about. Well, then other people say, no, 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 the truth that he's talking about is the truth that we live into. Instead of believing and living into the lies of this world, that we believe the truth of God and we live out the truth in honesty and integrity and showing forth who we really are, not fake selves. And so those are the two different ways of truth. And I think what Paul is saying is not this one or this one, but both. That the way in which we know and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we know the Father is revealed in Jesus, when we know him in such a way that it begins to reflect our desire to be able to resemble and reflect that truthfulness in the life in which we live. Not perfect, but definitely in the ways of Christ Jesus. So when Paul says, okay, first and foremost, go ahead and take this belt of truth of Jesus and put it around you. Well, then Paul doesn't just stop there. Um, continuing in verse 14 here. Stand, um, yeah, stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Similar to truth, now you have this breast, breastplate of righteousness. And it's interesting to me, like, Paul is just giving a metaphor here for, here for the things he's talking about. Don't take this too literal. Because uh, I read a couple articles that were talking about, now, what you got to do is the reason why he has a, a breastplate is you got to make sure when the enemy's coming after you that you're facing him. Because if you turn to the back, he would stab you in the back. And we can't have that. And it's like, I, okay, righteousness is what Paul's talking about here. It's the breastplate of righteousness. And the point here is not so much the breastplate, but the righteousness. That you got to be equipped with the righteousness of God. Um. The word righteousness here is used most often in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. And most often when it's used by the Apostle Paul, he's talking about what many believers and Christians know to be of the term of justification. Now, justification is the one-time act in which God declares you righteous before himself. Not on the basis of anything that you have done or have not done, but on the basis of what Christ has done on your behalf. It's also talked about as a foreign righteousness, meaning not something that, that you conjure up in yourself, but something that comes from outside and that comes from Christ. The best way that, that, that it was described to me and made sense to me, I was probably my first year of being a Christian. I was listening to this pastor talk, and he had um, a book, and pretend like this is just a regular book, and it was one of those big, huge kind of like commentary books or dictionaries that have like the, the, the um, temporary cover on the outside that you can take off or you can keep on, right? And so what he did was he took that part off and he had this book. He said, imagine this book is like your life. It is your life. Your name's written on it. It's everything that you've done, everything that you've thought about doing, everything that you would do, good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Everything's in here. And this book is given to the Lord. And God receives this book and it's got your name and everything on it. 
and he looks through it, and he has to decide um, based on the, your actions um, that you get accepted in or not. He goes, That's, that would be one way to look at righteousness, is how righteous are you, and does your righteous deed outweigh your non-righteous deeds, and then do you get on that? He goes, but that wouldn't be what the Bible talks about. But imagine this. Imagine this is your life and everything you've ever done. And it's got to be perfect in order for God to say you're innocent. And there's not a man or a woman or a child in this room, is it? It's perfect. So how are we going to do it? But this same God, because he's also um, not just a holy God and a just God, but he's a gracious God, that he takes this other and he pulled out the covering. And he says, he takes this one and he puts it on your book. And he goes, okay. And this covering actually says the name of the one in whom he loves, his son, Jesus. And he says, now I'm going to accept you on the basis of him. And so every time I look at you and how I treat you and how I relate to you will be the basis on what he has done, not on what you have done. Not that you're completely excused of this, but you are forgiven of this and you are accepted now on the righteousness of Christ. So now you are as righteous as Christ before the Father. So not just someone who enters into the kingdom, but someone who enters in as a son and as a daughter. That's the righteousness of the Bible. I sat there and I was like, I've never thought that in my life. I grew, up, I grew up going to church. And at that time, when I heard that, I was a Christian. But I still thought I believed in Jesus. Here's the way I thought of it. I thought of it this way. I thought of it as, like, um, Jesus would be the person who gets you the job. Like, you say, I want a certain job, and I, I happen to know the son of the owner of the company. And because of my relationship with the son, I'm like, yo, can you hook me up? I'm not really qualified for this, but, man, I know your pops owns this job. And he's like, yeah, my pops does own it. I'll see what he says because that's how me and Jesus talk to each other. And then, and then he talks to his pops, and his pops says, yeah, I'll let him in. And so the way I've looked at it in some ways, and many of us do, is that Jesus gets us the job. And he goes, and he basically looks at it and goes, I got you in now. It's up to you to figure out what to do. Like, I got you this far. It's up to you. But that's not the picture. Jesus goes up and goes, you are so unqualified for this job. <laughs> right? But my Father is calling you through me and by the Spirit. And we say this, you're not called because you were qualified. You're qualified because you were called. And that Jesus drank, brings us into the company or into the kingdom. And Jesus doesn't just say you're on your own, but it's on the job training by the power of the Holy Spirit until the Lord comes and fully establishes kingdom here on this earth. And that, that's the picture of Paul is saying truth of the gospel, but then also righteousness in which you need to know who you are and where you belong and to whom you belong as the enemy is telling you all sorts of other lies. But like truth had its other side, that believing the truth and living the truth, righteousness does too. There's a foreign righteousness we stand before the God, God as accepted. But there's also a righteousness now that by the Spirit in Christ, the on-the-job training, that we begin to reflect the righteousness and justice of God in the life in which we live. That there's a character um, development. There, there actually is growing in holiness and morality that flows from the gospel of who we are now working in, participating in, into the kingdom of God in Christ. And so Paul says, this is what you'll need as the enemy is coming at you with lies and temptation and darkness and everything else truth and who Christ is, righteousness and who Christ is. And then Paul continues to communicate uh, the armor for us here in Ephesians chapter 6. So let me turn back there for a second. The breastplate of righteousness, 
and having, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, you're just talking about shoes on your feet, all right? He says, like, truth in which we need to combat the lies, righteousness in which we need to combat the lies, and then now we also need shoes. Now, when Paul talks about shoes, looking at uh, a particular understanding of what soldiers would have worn then, um, it would have been like, they call like half boots, where they'd have been strapped up, kind of like the way the ladies be wearing them, and, uh, and you know, the, they, they <laughs> my sister wears these, and they come all the way up, all the way up here, and like, okay, yeah, I see you looking fierce, right? And so you have, you have some picture of that, but the sole is thicker, and the purpose of that is not so much about um, how you move, but that you can stand firm and you can walk for a long distance. So this is your ability not so much to be agile, but to be able to be firm, to stand firm, and also to be able to go a long way, endurance. And the way that that comes, he says, the readiness that he's talking about, the preparedness, is that at any moment when it comes that you are ultimately covered and by believing the gospel of peace. But this comes from the gospel. Oftentimes with Christians, we believe the gospel, as Tim Keller says, um, is the ABCs of Christianity. Something we believe. When we, just to become Christian, and then we move on to something else. When really, the gospel is not the ABCs, but actually it's the A through Z. Like, you never get beyond the gospel. The gospel is not just something for people who are not Christian in order for them to become Christian. The gospel, hear me, is for sinners. Those are Christians and non-Christians, right? And so the gospel for the believer is something that continues to give us life to know who we are, what God is like, and what he's up to. It is good news for us. The way that we stay firm is by being rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also, it's something for those of us in the room who've never trusted in Jesus to understand that there's a better life, there's a better story that is actually a truer story in Christ Jesus that he is inviting you on to give you a sense of significance and meaning and value beyond what you can achieve by your own performances, but what you can receive because of the performance of Christ. And that you realize the life that you're living, the narrative you're living is a narrative that eventually has a period on it. But the narrative that God gives you, it goes to eternity over and over again of goodness and peace and love and joy in God. So he says we have to have this peace to preach it to ourselves and be able to have the gospel to preach to be able to preach it to others. Now, we're just honest. When's the last time we preached the gospel to ourselves? Right? And when's the last time we preached it to others? And when I say preach, don't think you have, you have to be up on a stage like me preaching. Right? In fact, don't do that. Don't just show up to my how are you doing? Hey, check it out. Back in 1967 in the deep walk. Like, no. Right? They're going to be like, you tripping. Right? I know I'm a pastor of Sam preach the gospel. No. Good news of Christ to people and to yourself. Here, here's the reality. Some of us who are in Christ, sometimes we get in such dark places we can't even preach the gospel to ourselves. We need somebody else to preach it to us. Right? There has been moments in my marriage and my walk with the Lord, and it, when, even before I was married, that I've had to ask friends or my spouse to say, please tell me something true about Jesus because I'm not believing it. Right? If, you, if, if you're in here now going, oh, never me, listen, not yet. <laughs> right? And, it, and it, it just is because the lies, the lies are not just lies. They're enticing. They look good. They seem better. They seem like the best life. But the gospel tells us, Whatever sin offers, God offers more because he offers himself. And so we, you, you, we have to have the truth, this belt, this girdle, um, righteousness, the breastplate. 
that we have here now, the gospel ready to be able to share and also to be able to tell ourselves and others. And then Paul continues here in verse 6, or me, chapter 6. As shoes for your feet having put on the readiness by the gospel of peace, verse 16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. Now he's got the shield of faith. And don't think a picture of like the circle shield, right? Think of the huge shield, like, like four feet this high um, and about two feet this wide and the shield that you can stand behind and that's built in such a way that when it says the flaming darts, what Paul has in mind here is, you know, people dipping their arrows into, and then lighting them up and then shooting them, however they used to shoot back then. Um, but the flaming darts would go and it would protect you from it. And here... As we think about spiritual warfare, we're all thinking about our own. When you think about those shields, think about a bigger picture of you being here, your brother and sister right here, your brother and sister right here, your brother and sister right here, that you're actually connected in community to be able to be there to protect with God's strength each other from the lies and from the darts of the enemy. Because the same way that we need other people to preach the gospel to us, when it comes to faith, Sometimes our fate is very, very fleeting, and we need people to have faith on our behalf in a particular season, right? You know, is that theologically accurate? It seems like it. Um, everybody in this room that's a Christian, you became a Christian, yes, because God saved you, but somebody was praying on your behalf. And all of us in this room that have been able to be carried by God, you can say, yes, because of the gospel, absolutely, but somebody was praying on our behalf, right? It was, it's called intercession, and what you intercede and you pray on behalf of another and you pray like God, then somebody's praying on your behalf, right? That you're not like Kendrick. You can't say, ain't nobody praying for me. You can say, I got a lot of people praying for me. When it comes to the shield of faith here, um, you need this faith when it comes to spiritual warfare because you need to know in faith the promises of God when you're being drowned by, dot, by doubt and even depression, and I'm not just talking clinical depression. I'm talking about those dark, dark days that every Christian goes through, right? Those days where it's hard to believe that God is good, right? And it's sad, but you know there's days that you go, I want to believe, but I can't. There's moments of doubt that we have that are deep, and sometimes it expresses itself in bitterness, right, in the Christian church because we begin to see other Christians seemingly going through the most joyful time of their lives. And we look at it, and instead of just being able to rejoice with them in that moment, all we want to do is criticize and go, that can't be real as if God can't be good to people. And so in those moments, we need the promises of God. We need those promises that said that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We need those promises that he's always going to be with us. Like, we need those promises that he says, my burden is light. Okay, we need those promises to be over in our lives, to have faith to say, in this day, Lord, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And you said tomorrow's got its own problems, and today's problems are even bigger than tomorrow, maybe. I'm just going to trust in you today, and I need faith to be able to believe that because the lies are real. They're real. Not only does this faith give us promise, the promises of God in moments of doubt and depression, but it also gives us the power of God in moments of temptation. There are certain things that we go through that we go, I can never make it through this. And you know what? You can't. But God can. And God will. And he gives us the faith to be able to do it with his strength. That, that moments of temptations that seem like they overwhelm us because it's that thing that we go to over and over and over again. Right? If we're just kind of trying to be honest with each other, there's certain things we think about. When I became a Christian, I thought, okay, God, if you take away these two or three things, like, I might as well just go to heaven, right? 
right? You guys, we've had those. You know what those things are for yourself, you know? Everybody's like, no, not me. Okay. Um, and the reality of it is God never takes those things away. But again, he gives you himself in the midst of those things. So what does that look like to really battle in that? And so I'm going to give you guys just four things here that we, we talk about a, uh, a lot here. We've even done sermon series on it, but I'm going to walk through it here. And they're known as the four G's. And these help us to know the character of God in the moments of temptation and doubt and so forth. The first G here, it says God is great. Okay, that's something we need to know about God. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. I can go around and say, Who's the, who, who is trying to control right now, right? But I don't want to shame you guys. The next one is God is glorious, and so we don't have to fear other. We have others or th- other things. There's a lot of fear and all. A lot of fear because we're not actually looking in faith to God. He's so glorious. I don't need to fear people. I don't need to fear things. God is good, and so we don't have to look elsewhere. If we're honest, we're looking to everything else to find goodness when goodness is rooted in our, who our God is. That goodness, that everything finds its amen in him. That things are beautiful, like beautiful, it comes from who God is. And everything that he does and everything, he, he, everything he's thought of, everything he does is beautiful. We, we look to God. We don't have to look elsewhere. And then lastly, those of us who are always trying to prove ourselves by performance and so forth, the enemy has us believing, like, you know what the enemy does in some ways? We, you, you have to have a really good marriage. Nobody has a really good marriage. Guys, nobody has a really, you know who has a really good marriage? Jesus and his bride. How's that working? Right? So, so, and that's not to say, please don't like say, oh, so it's the woman. Oh, that's not what I said, right? That's not what I said. That's not at all what I said. I'm not even joking like that. But the reality of it is sometimes we think we have to have this perfect life, this perfect marriage, this perfect kids, this perfect singleness, perfect this. And so we present this perfection, which doesn't really exist. The only, per- the only perfection that's ever presented is from God to us in which we receive and we live into. So God is gracious. We don't have to prove ourselves. And you'll find yourself trying to prove yourself, and it's like, no, I need that shield of faith to believe these truths about God. Amen? Truth, um, we need to have. We got to be able to have um, righteousness. We got to be able to have the gospel of peace. We got to be able to have this faith. And then a couple more here that Paul says. Then he says this, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, we're combining these two. So it's salvation and the sword of the spirit. You have salvation. What he's talking about here is not only the truths that he's talked about in Ephesians so, much, so far that we've been saved by grace. Like usually when we think about salvation, we think about us being saved to God, right? Um, salvation in itself is, is that, but it's nothing, it's far more than that. Nothing less far more than that. Salvation has been what Ephesians has been talking about, and that is God redeeming and restoring all things in Christ of which by faith we are a part of. So that means when he says the helmet that protects your brain, your head, and which everything else can flow from is understanding the greatest narrative ever of how God created and in spite of sin, how he's redeeming you, me, and everybody and all things in creation that believe in Jesus Christ to one day restore, renew all of creation. He said that that narrative we have to live into. The narrative scripture from, from front to back, Genesis to Revelation, says live into that narrative. That is what will control and shape your life if you understand that salvation belongs to the Lord and which he gives to us by and through grace. Amen? So that, that, like, we need to know that because the enemy, let's just be honest, how often have you had in your own life moments, seasons, where you've questioned, am I really a Christian? And do I still want to be a Christian? We all have friends or in this room that have, that have been in the faith, that have done everything, that have walked on the stage and not just had bad sins in their life, but literally go, I think I'm done with God. 
Salvation tells us God is not done with you. So we, we, we have moments where we question, we try to, Lord, am I in? Am I really in? I'm not really sure because I keep doing these things and the things I want to do, I don't want to do, and I'm not really sure. The guy who wrote this also said that. And then we come to a service and we hope maybe the pastor will say something that will resonate with me in such a way that I would go, oh yeah, that's right, I'm in. Or maybe the worship team will sing a song that will emotionally stir my affections for the Lord in such a way that I would be reminded I'm in. Let me tell you, there's no pastor, there's no worship leader, there's no sermon, and there's no song that reminds you that you're in other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that's it. All the sermons and the songs do is elevate that. Man, if I was at a church with the... A little bit more chocolate, man, we would have uh, went somewhere just now. But that's all right, you know. The gospel's bigger than that. <laughs> Listen, I was going to cut 15 minutes off and I'm close. So let, let's, let's go ahead and land this thing on. We do have moments where we don't believe. Um, and the salvation is what protects us. It's a reminder that it's God's. And God has given it to us. And then with knowing that narrative, he says to make sure we have the sword of the spirit, right? The sword there is not, don't think Excalibur sword. The picture there is actually a small sword there that, um, that's there through the word of the spirit. And that is the spirit of God illuminating the word of God. Um, you probably, you just got finished filling out that survey. And you probably filled out that you probably don't read the Bible as much as maybe you ought. And not as a task, but of a way of life. If the Bible is the way that shapes us and reminds us to live in the script and the narrative that God is doing, and we don't read it very much, then we are taking our lines from somebody else. We're taking our cues and our lines from the culture in which we're around. We're taking our cues and our lines from, from the lies in which we believe. We're taking our cues and our lines from the people around us that we think we need to live their life. We're taking our cues and our lines from our own internal doubts and thoughts about ourselves, sometimes too high, sometimes extremely too low. And we're not actually taking the cues and the lines from the scripture to say this is who we are in Christ Jesus. So the word of the Lord is not a task. The word of the Lord is a means of grace in which God has given us to remind us to align ourselves with his grace in which he's given us. If you can think of it this way, God himself has this incessant flow of his grace that, uh, that just flows downhill in order for us to receive. And we can drink deep of the waters of the grace of the Lord. And what happens with our natural our sin, with the enemy, and with culture in itself is we drift away from that fountain. And we start drinking from other fountains that the spouts are disgusting. Right? And what the gospel of grace does through the word of God is it aligns us right back to the truth that we may be refreshed in the ways and the works and the meanings and the purposes and the good news of Jesus. That we drink from the, from the Lord and from his water and not anything else. And though the enemy is constantly trying to give us cups. The enemy is constantly offering us something that looks better. And honestly, oftentimes it does. And we have to have that faith, that shield of faith. We have to have truth, righteousness salvation, all of these things to be able to say, Lord, not only, do we not only is our identity in Christ, but our belongings in Christ, that we belong to God. Amen? And Paul concludes this particular section with the most important part. Verse 18, and praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert in all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. I hope you see all, all, all. What Paul is saying is, Prayer is a part of everything that we do. Think of it this way. Um, if I'm sitting down to eat, you know, because people say, well, how come prayer is not a part of the armor? Well, think about if you're sitting down eating a meal and you have like a steak. If you're 
you know, or a, a steak substitute. Uh, and you have a steak, and you have, like, some broccoli, then you have, like, some potatoes, and whatever you have. And then, then you have salt. You don't just put the salt there, right, and go, there's my salt right there. I'll eat my salt, and then I'll eat my... No, right? You take the salt, or some Lowry's, <laughs> some Mike Lowry's, and then you, then you sprinkle it throughout the whole meal, right? What Paul is saying is, not just in spiritual warfare... But as you read the Bible, as you understand God is re reconciling all things, as you live as a man or a woman of a child of God, as you receive the gifts that God has given you, as you live your life, that you pray and that you pray, all right? And I know everyone always feels guilty when we start talking about prayer because no one believe, believes they pray enough, but part of it is we just need to start praying more and praying for the saints and praying for perseverance and praying that we, like God begins to dispense his grace through the ways that the people of God pray. All of us are in this room, whether you know it or not. Because God ordained it, yes, and he moved through the people, people who love you, their prayers. He's moved through. How do you reconcile that? If you ordain this, I don't know. But I know this, that we're prayed into the kingdom of God. We're prayed in the midst of darkness. We're prayed in these, way, these ways. And prayer in the Christ has to be central to what we do. Or it's just planning and it's strategies and so forth. And if we, if I say, let me put it on me. If I say, I don't pray as I ought, and we are doing this without the power of prayer, how can we simultaneously say that we're dependent upon God? And if we're not dependent on God, then who are we dependent upon? Gathering a people is not the goal of the gospel. It's being able to receive the love of God and being able to reflect it. God woke me up the other night with a dream. Or actually, I don't even think God woke me up. I don't know who this was because this was horrible. It was a nightmare. And I'm not going to spare you the details. And I know you're going to say, tell me about the dream. No, I've told the people that are closest to me for the dream because I don't have to tell you. Uh, and, and it's, in all honesty, because I don't want to relive that it was so, it had to do with my kids. And it was just, oh, it's horrible. It was horrible. And I woke up and I went in, saw my kids. They were doing fine. They were sleeping. Um, and I prayed for them. And then I sat down and I asked the Lord, okay, why do you have me up right now? Like, what, you want to speak to me? And I, I believe the Lord spoke to me. And, and you say, well, how do you know? Well, what scripture was it in? Ah, he didn't speak audibly to me. He didn't text me. He didn't, give me, he didn't ping me, right? Um, I just know he spoke to me. And the things that I think the Lord revealed to me was, one, is that we have been going through the motions of Jesus in my house, not actually the reality of Jesus. And, and that's not like, oh, the pastor is being vulnerable. No. It is the reality of going, like, we are going through the motions of Christ. It's time to go to bed. Let's pray. It's time to eat. Let's pray. Let's wake up. Let's pray before we go to school as opposed to a, a genuine reliance on the presence of Jesus, right? Like the presence of Jesus. And the way that reflects into my, the raising my kids and loving my wife and primarily in my home because I feel like I get here and I go home to just be and uh, as opposed to um, giving at home and receiving at home with my wife and my kids primarily that's prayer. That's prayer. And I don't think that's just a word for me. Not just your family, but your walk with the Lord, your friends. You have to ask, am I interceding in a way that's actually warfare? Or am I interceding because it's time to eat? So um, let's, just, let's just, we'll be done there. So would you close your Bible, your Bible app? Um, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take some time and uh, and. Take a little bit of time and pray. And I'm going to prompt you into some prayers. And so I want you guys to go ahead and, and uh, bow your heads. And don't worry about, you know, 
people moving around or kids talking and whatnot. And I know sometimes pastor goes, don't worry about the distractions of the kids. The kids aren't distractions. They're gods. <laughs> and, um, and so um, I'm going to ask you guys some questions to pray and ask the Lord to listen to the spirit. And then um, and we'll continue with the response. So first thing, as you go to the Lord, ask the Lord to reveal to you what particular battle are you in right now? Um, or what is the battle that you have right now? Whether it's lies, whether it's temptation, whether it's the dark forces that are, that are present in your life, in your work, at home, or whatever. Like, what is the battle that you have? And ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Let's take a moment to just pray. Listen. And in, in that battle, what lies are you hearing and are believing, and what fears do you have? So what lies are you hearing and believing, or what fears do you have about it? Just confess those things to the Lord. Lastly, what does Jesus have to say? What truth does Jesus have to say about it? Just ask the Lord to reveal to you what he says about it. God in heaven, we thank you that you are present with us through Christ and the Spirit. You speak truth. The truth that does not condemn us because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But a truth that protects us in your righteousness, that clothes us, that reminds us that we're sons and we're daughters. And that's enough. And that you are enough. God, a truth that gives us light in Christ, Lord, with all the darkness that's around, that transforms our life, Lord, that we live in such a way aware of the battle, but not afraid of it. Aware of the enemy, but not afraid of it. Equipped in community, loved by you, filled with your spirit, and living out in ways, Lord, that reflect your glory to the people around us. God, I pray for every single person here, the battles that they wrestle with, the temptation, the lies, the doubt, the depression. Lord, pain, all the things, Lord, that comes through our sin and Satan and death that are just the effects ultimately of the fall. We just pray for your healing and restorative power of the gospel to be in their lives, to be in their walk with you, to be in their relationships, that we would come to the foot of your cross, Lord, and hear from you 
sense your love and that you would raise our affections for you in ways, God, Lord, that would shape the way that we think, that we live, that we talk, and that we act. God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you for the spirit, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.